So as classroom teachers, do you have a healthy balance of procedural fluency, conceptual understanding, but then also application? I start thinking about how we have so many fifth grade students where they're still drawing all, counting all, but it's because we've only ever honored the right answer as teachers. So students only feel safe enough drawing all, counting all. So again, it's about getting students to take risks to think more efficiently as mathematicians. Hello, Montgomery County. My name is Brandon Langer with the OPL podcast. Thank you for joining us this year and welcome back. Hopefully you've had a great start to the school year and we're very excited to kick off our podcast season this year with Graham Fletcher, who is joining us to talk math, specifically elementary math. And we have the pleasure of having him come to join the IU for some sessions. More about that later. Uh, But thank you once again for hopping on with us. And I'm going to pass it over to Graham to introduce himself and give us a little bit about who he is, what he does, and what we can look forward to. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, math friends. Graham here. I'm locked up in my basement here in in Georgia, uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to getting back out on the road and visiting you all in Pennsylvania. So uh, yeah, I'm Graham. I'm a math specialist. Uh, I really don't want to talk so much about me, but more so about the things that we're going to be doing when I come to Montgomery County and we get to play for two full days. Uh, We'll have a K2 session and a 3-5 session where we can talk about some strategies that we can use, not anything new, but how you can pretty much refine the things that you're already doing to do a better job meeting your students where they are within that progression of learning. So yeah, super excited to be here, have a chat here with some new math friends and also with you uh, on the other end of this that's listening. Great, and we're also joined today by two terrific IU colleagues of mine in the Office of Professional Learning. Uh, So I'll pass it to them to introduce themselves as well. Hi everyone, Stephanie Schwab, STEM Program Administrator in the Office of Professional Learning. Looking forward to having this conversation around mathematics instruction with Graham and Aaron and Brandon. Good morning everyone, Aaron Barry, Project Consultant at MCIU in the Office of Professional Learning. Um, Graham, we really appreciate you being here today and joining us for this conversation. Just to start it off, can you talk to us a little bit about three-act tasks and why they're so important when we teach math? Yeah, so maybe if you're listening, this is the first time that you've heard about three-act tasks. Uh, and so the the, the term three-act tasks was, was created and coined by a math educator in California. Many of you have probably heard. Uh, it's Dan Meyer. So uh, big shout out to Dan for creating three-act tasks. Now, if you've never heard of three-act tasks, you might be asking what these are. So basically, they're, they're problem-based lessons. And I think about traditionally how we, how we work with students in the classroom right? Like as classroom teachers, we come in, we tell the students, hey, I have a math problem I want you to solve. I give you all the information you need to solve the problem that I've created for you. And it's basically like a script that you would work through. Well, that's not what a three-act task is, but that's how so many of us uh, were, were taught mathematics. So what a three-act task is, is it's really broken down into three distinct parts where uh, you introduce a mathematical idea through some type of media. Uh, It could be through a still image. Uh, When we come and we get to play in Montgomery County, we'll be using video. And what it does is this video is, is a hook. And we use these two really powerful mathematical questions where we ask, what do you notice? What do you wonder? And just with those questions, what separates a three-act task from a traditional math problem is, is students 
students now come up with the question that they're going to be solving as we work through this problem. So students might want to know, oh, I wonder how many of this, or I wonder how long something would take. And then from there, uh, they realize that they've now created this problem. So they've created what's called an intellectual need. And so now they have this desire to want to know the answer to the question that they've just created. But in order to solve that, uh, they need to identify these different variables. So uh, for instance, if you're using something they might, well, I need to know uh, how many yards it is or how many feet it is. So they now start identifying these different variables that they need. They need more information to solve the mathematical problem. And, and that at the heart of it is what a three-act task is. It really gets at the heart of modeling with mathematics or mathematical modeling. And I think about my time uh, as, as a classroom teacher working with K-5 students, very seldom would I ever let students come up with the question that they want to solve. Very seldom would I ever allow students to estimate before they jump in and tackle the problem. And I know before uh, Dan had introduced uh, many of us to, to three-act tasks, I would never ask students, hey, what information do you need to solve the problem that you came up with? And so that whole idea of coming up and deriving a question, coming up with estimating, and coming up with finding those missing variables, that is the structure of a three-act task. And, and they're not typically happening in our classrooms. So if we don't have students estimating or we don't have students coming up with those variables, we're really missing the boat when it comes to modeling with mathematics in our K-5 classrooms. So, so at the heart of it, a three-act task is really like, very similar to a problem-based lesson. Some people will call three-act tasks three-act tasks. Some people will call uh, three-act tasks problem-based lessons, but they're they're kind of uh, interchangeable, those two terms. Many of you probably know of Robert Kaplinsky, who calls three-act tasks problem-based lessons, but they're real-world problems. They're not contrived problems that you're going to find in our typical textbook. So uh, at the 60-foot, at the 60,000-foot level, that's kind of what a three-act task is, and we'll look at how we can leverage these tasks in our classroom to really, again, just find out where student thinking is. When we think about the idea of the problem-based lessons and the three-act tasks, what do you think makes them so important for teachers to be incorporating them into the classroom? What are you hoping to get out of your students and the type of thinking that we want to see with that problem solving? A lot of times we focus on procedures and not necessarily that thinking. So how, does, how do you do both? How do you get procedural thinking and the problem-based learning in the math class when you're using these problem-based lessons? Yeah. Great question. So I think it comes down to task placement. And I think about uh, my first couple of years as a third grade teacher or going back uh, too long ago, decades ago, when I was a classroom student, like what would end up happening is I remember we all remember the old textbooks. It's like do questions one through 30. Don't do 31 and 32 because those are the word problems. And I don't want to teach those today. Like we've all been through that. So what ends up happening is when we give students just a, a bulk of problems, if they get the first two right, they're going to get the rest of them right. But if they get the first two wrong, they're going to now repeat this, this, this inaccuracy in terms of working through the problem. So here's where three-act tasks really come into play or problem-based lessons. 
Traditionally speaking, where do we typically put the really good lessons in our unit? Do they go at the beginning of the unit, the middle of the unit, or at the end of the unit? Well, traditionally speaking, it's like, let me go ahead and teach it at the end of the unit. And, and if we save this task, like, let me do all of the teaching, and then I'm going to save this really rich task for the end because I've pre-taught all the information that you need to know to solve that problem. So if that's the case, it turns out to be summative assessment. And, and summative assessment for me as a classroom teacher, it doesn't help me move the needle in terms of student thinking. Like summative assessment is great for coaches, uh, district personnel, people in your situation where, where you're working staff to find out the trends and data to how we can support teachers moving forward with their mathematical understanding. But if I'm a classroom teacher, and if I want to use this task and leverage it, instead of saving it for the end of the unit, I want to use it on day one of a unit before I've ever taught anything. Now, I know as teachers, that might be counterintuitive to how we typically think about our math classrooms, right? Because we'd be like, well, I haven't taught anything. Well, what's nice now is about when we use these at the beginning part of the unit, it now becomes formative and diagnostic. And because we haven't pre-taught anything, we get a true indication for where our students' thinking is within a mathematical progression. Uh, like if you have students and you find out at the beginning part of your unit that kids are drawing all, counting all, great, embrace the suck. That's what they're doing. But if they're still drawing all, counting all at the end of the unit, then I don't see that as a, as a student issue. I take that onus up upon myself. So I'm not using these tasks so that students get the right answer. I'm using these tasks so that I can really begin to uncover and unpack and identify where student thinking is. So when we come together in, in March and we work through these days, we're going to look at how we can use these tasks, not as summative, but as formative and diagnostic to find out where student thinking is. And that's what helps us because then when we start looking at the student thinking, that's how we build a roadmap uh, for how to keep student thinking moving uh, along. And it's been great to just see teachers as they transform their thinking about, hey, I don't need to save this for the end of the unit. I can put it right at the beginning because I'm not after the right answer. The only place really where I'm thinking the right answer really truly matters in a math class is during that summative. Everything before the end of the unit I need to keep trying to move student thinking along. I start thinking about how we have so many fifth grade students where they're still drawing all, counting all, but it's because we've only ever honored the right answer as teachers. So students only feel safe enough drawing all, counting all. So again, it's about getting students to take risks, to think more efficiently as mathematicians. Well, and I think you're using a very interesting word as you say all of that, and this seems very silly to say out loud, but you are relying based on your comment there on students doing the thinking. And you keep saying that phrase, student thinking, student thinking. And, and that's something that I think is interesting because when we only say, when we only deliver, here's how you do the procedure, here's how you do the procedure, you know, is there actually thought there or is someone just following the algorithm to get the right answer? I think this might be one of the issues we have, not just in math and other subjects as well, but I, I'd also like what you where you started, Graham, as you were talking about problem-based lessons and the ability to spark engagement through questioning. Again, from the student's perspective, if the student is asking me questions pertaining or, or thinking of questions and I've sparked curiosity, they are engaged. Management, it becomes a thing of the past. They're engaged in the task, right? So if we are sparking engagement early through questioning and then continuing to foster that, 
student thinking is leading the way. And I, I love that about everything you just said, because it's not just me telling you how to do something. Because I've had students before, I'm a former arts teacher, but I had just tell me how to do it. I'm like, well, I can do that, but then you don't come to the awesome conclusion and realization of the power that you have to do this for yourself. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like when kids are like, uh, I don't know if it's addition or subtraction. If you just tell me, I can figure it out. No, no, no. Figuring out if it's addition or subtraction is the figuring outness that we want them uh, to be able to do. And and I start thinking about a lot of our gifted students. So many of our, our gifted students know the procedure how to find an answer, but they might not be able to think their way out of a paper bag in terms of the application. So they have the procedural fluency, but they don't have the application or the conceptual understanding between those pieces. And I, I I love what you picked up on there because there's been a huge shift in my practice. I've been using three-act tasks since 2012, 2013, in and around there. And, and for the first couple of years, I was just really stoked that kids were finally engaged, right? Like just keeping kids on task, keeping them engaged is, 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 is a monstrous hill that we're trying to climb every single day. But the tasks, and you you hit on it, the tasks take care of the classroom management. So where I've shifted tremendously in, in recent years is understanding that when kids are engaged in the math tasks, that I just can't be jazzed that they're engaged. What am I doing with that moment that they're engaged? And that's when I've really shifted my thinking to realize that was a missed opportunity on my end as the educator, the teacher, to find out where their thinking is. So um, yeah, the task placement, the engagement. Many of you probably listening to this have tried three-act tasks, and and you might be thinking, well, what am I going to get out of this session? Well, are you using these tasks as formative and diagnostic, or are you just finally happy that your kids are engaged and you're not playing whack-a-mole with them trying to tell them to stay uh, on task? Graham, you use two phrases that we hear often in mathematics, procedural fluency and conceptual understanding. Can you talk with us a little bit about what each of those phrases mean and why it's important for our students to possess both procedural fluency and conceptual understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So, Again, procedural fluency, I I think about where it typically happens, it's going back to that textbook version. Teacher shows me how to do a a whole lot of things. So uh, I'll kind of of unpack this. With new standards, uh, what we end up doing, uh, whenever our standards kind of change, there's been a huge pendulum shift between conceptual understanding and procedural fluency. So either as classroom teachers, we're probably more emphasized on procedural fluency, or we're probably more emphasized on conceptual understanding. But in in, in a healthy, balanced mathematical classroom, there needs to be a balance of, of both of them. So nowhere in your Pennsylvania state standards does it say that students need to own 20 different strategies. But what do we do? We teach a strategy, teach a strategy, teach a strategy, teach a strategy. Students have all of these strategies, and we'll go right down to first grade here. I start thinking about this. Where students in first grade, they know the make a 10 strategy. So where they're adding nine plus seven, they would take one from the seven, give it to the nine to make a 10. They have that conceptual understanding. But when they go to work in a problem with an application, they revert right back to counting on strategies. So instead of teaching students 20 different strategies 
and then they don't ever really own one of them, what would happen if we expose them to a strategy? They uncover a strategy that would, through that conceptual understanding, but then instead of teaching and exposing them to a new strategy, we pump the brakes and allow them to become procedurally fluent in the conceptual development that in that conceptual understanding that they've just developed. Where I, I would realize also coming back to where sometimes when we just teach strategies, students don't ever understand where they apply. So as much as we think about conceptual understanding and we think of procedural fluency, I'm going to add one more into there and it's that application. So now we're looking at a healthy balance. So as classroom teachers, do you have a healthy balance of procedural fluency, conceptual understanding, but then also application? And to have all of those included into every single one of your lessons would be a ridiculous ask of anybody. There's no way I could possibly do that. But when you start thinking about your lesson plans, not over a day, but maybe over the scope of a week or maybe over the scope of, of a unit, is there a healthy balance of conceptual understanding, procedural fluency, and application, or are you more heavily weighted in one area and the other? And when we come together in March, these are going to be some of the things that we're going to talk about. How can we find that healthy balance, but we launch this idea of conceptual understanding and, and uh, procedural fluency through a rich math task through that application. And I think also where because there's been this proliferation of using manipulatives in our classrooms, what happens is sometimes just because we're using manipulatives, we, we can think that we're building conceptual understanding, but when we teach students how to use the manipulatives, what we do is we teach them the procedure of a conceptual understanding. So again, we need to step back and allow students just that space and grace to go ahead and build it and that building that true conceptual understanding, not the procedure of a conceptual understanding. That's going to take time, but when we know where we're moving and how that progression of learning works over a unit, I'm not in a rush because I'm always being intentional and purposeful with asking the right question for how to move students from conceptual to that procedural understanding. One of the things that was resonating with me in the talk that you've been, we've been having together, the concept we hear sometimes in other classrooms is I do, we do, you do. And I feel everything you're talking about is really not following that at all. And it's more the opposite of you do, we do, I do to get students there. What's your thinking around that type of progression in the classroom as well? Yeah, great question. So I'm actually just taking I right out of that whole equation. It's you do, we do, or we do, uh, you do, but it's never me as opposed to me being the I. I think my goal uh, as a math teacher is I'm only ever asking questions because if I'm not asking questions, I'm probably telling students. So what I've realized is the less I talk, the more I'm actually listened to. And I'll unpack that thinking just a little bit more. Too often I'm talking and students will tune me out of their thinking. So what I love doing is I love only ever asking questions to students. And in doing so, to ask those right questions, uh, what it does is it now allows me to be a facilitator as opposed to uh, someone who's just kind of like pushing an understanding on students. So I think that that's that's the really big piece for me is, is it's never really about I. Um, um, I'm not spending a lot of time up at the front of the board. Uh, I'm really pulling down a chair next to students, climbing underneath that table in a kindergarten class to where you see boogers underneath it. Like that's where I want to be to be asking the right questions. Because if I'm talking, I'm probably not listening. 
So uh, yeah, most of the time it's students and, and I go back and forth. I let them work in, 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 as individuals in groups, but there's always a, an opportunity for students to be talking. And I start thinking about this, right? Like we want kids to write in math class, but that's probably the most difficult thing that we need, that, that we have to get students to do. But if kids can't talk the language, we should never expect them to be able to write the language. So I, I want to turn math into like a social sport to where kids, lots and lots of turn and talks. So in a 25 minute lesson, you might see close to 20 turn and talks, but it's that frequency that keeps those students engaged and it allows them to talk with their colleagues uh, so that they can flush out their own understanding before they ever go publicly in front of the class. Thank you, Graham. You've touched a little bit about what people are going to be able to expect when they're coming throughout this entire conversation. Is there anything else you want to add in for what people can expect when they come the end of March to either the K to two or the three to five sessions that you'll be doing with us at MCIU? I don't think so. I think I've kind of I hit on a lot. I, I'm a firm believer that vulnerability is the birthplace of professional growth. Uh, and so what I love doing is, is one of the reasons where I've really been able to improve my craft as a teacher is, is basically putting myself around colleagues that know a little bit more than me. So when you come together, uh, when we come together in March, you're going to be in some situations where you're like, oh, I don't know the answer to this. Great. You won't leave not knowing the answer to the questions that you might have. So uh, all of us are smarter than one of us. And I think over the last year and a half, 18 months, two years, we've missed being in person. We've missed these opportunities to come together and wrap our heads around some really big mathematical understandings. So let's just uh, come with that, that idea of all of us are smarter than one of us. Uh, vulnerability is the birthplace of professional growth. Just super excited to get to play around in a workspace with you all uh, with this idea of three-act tasks, problem-based lessons, and really looking at how we can find that healthy balance between conceptual understanding, procedural fluency, but then also through that application. I'm super excited to get the opportunity to work with you for a couple of days in March. So um, you've just sparked more excitement in me through this conversation. So I appreciate that. I agree, Aaron. Yep, and I agree, Graham. I, as I said throughout the conversation today, there's just so much that you're saying that even not as a math specialist myself, but someone who enjoys math and science and just teaching in general, it's, it's relational across the, the, the subject areas for sure. So we look forward to those you know, ongoing conversations, but specifically your, your event here uh, early next year. For anybody else that's looking for more information about this, we'll, we'll tag our offering to our website, learn.mciu.org. So there, there is more details about the upcoming event, how to get registered and all that information. Graham, thank you for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it and sharing all of your knowledge as well. We're looking forward to learning alongside of you uh, in March of 2022. Yeah, my pleasure. Looking, looking forward to it. March can't get here soon enough. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And once again, this is the OPL podcast from MCIU. You can follow us on Twitter at, at MCIU Learns. You can also find us on Facebook and uh, please visit our learn.mciu.org for this and other content that we are pushing out throughout the school year. Hope everyone's had a great start to the school year and we look forward to connecting with you throughout the year. Thank you. Thank you.